This is Binghamton Now on News Radio 1290, WNBF Binghamton, and WNBF.com. Where news breaks first. News Radio 1290, WNBF. This is News Radio 1290, WNBF News. Snow today, high near 26. Snow tonight, cloudy skies, low around 11. Cloudy Saturday, high near 15. Sunday, partly sunny with a chance of snow showers, high near 22. An urgent rescue of several dozen farm animals found to be living in poor conditions was being conducted near Owego. According to the Tioga County Sheriff's Office, the American Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals was called in to assist with the operation. Sheriff's Office units and ASPCA vehicles were at 240 Glenmary Drive in the town of Tioga Thursday afternoon for the massive rescue operation. Authorities said investigators discovered more than 100 animals at what was described as a horse farm. Some of the animals showed signs of neglect. The sheriff's office said cows, goats, and horses, including some young calves, were being removed from the property. The animals were found to have limited access to food, water, and medical care. Some appeared to be underweight and were living in filthy conditions. One calf required urgent care. The sheriff's office reported that some dead animals were also discovered on the property. The ASPCA was helping authorities with operational planning, animal removal and transport. The agency also was aiding investigators in evidence collection and crime scene processing. The Susquehanna SPCA and the Massachusetts SPCA are assisting by providing transportation and care for the rescued animals. Charles Harrison of Binghamton was sentenced to 48 months in federal prison after being convicted of illegally possessing a firearm. The sentencing came as a result of collaborative efforts between the United States Attorney's Office and the United States Marshal Service for the Northern District of New York. The trial revealed evidence that Harrison, previously convicted for a conspiracy to possess and distribute controlled substances, was serving the final part of his sentence in a halfway house in Connecticut. Harrison fled from the halfway house, leading to a warrant for his arrest. On March 29th of 2022, Harrison was found hiding under a mattress in an apartment in Binghamton. During the search, a loaded handgun was also found in the bedroom adjacent to Harrison's hiding spot. Through forensic analysis and testimonial evidence presented at trial, it was proven that the firearm was linked to Harrison. The jury found him guilty of possessing the firearm as a prohibited person due to his prior felony conviction. On January 12th, state police responded to Envoy Travel Plaza at 305 Stanton Hill Road in Nichols for a report of fraud. Upon investigation, the clerk stated that two individuals entered the store at approximately 8.30 p.m. on January 11th and used two $100 counterfeit bills to purchase lottery tickets and gasoline. State police are seeking the public's help in identifying the two individuals. The vehicle is a Chevy Equinox with an unknown plate number. Anyone asked to, anyone with information is asked to contact the New York State Police, Sydney Barracks. Preliminary work has started for the next phase of the rail trail system in the town of Vestal. Town engineer Vernon Myers said a 3,500-foot expansion of the existing trail is to be built this year. 
The walking and biking path will be extended beyond the Town Square Mall from its current trailhead at African Road to the Vestal Road-Sycamore Road intersection. This is the third phase of the trail system. Meyer said town highway department workers have started clearing trees near the intersection ahead of the planned construction of the new trail segment. He said the project is expected to cost about $2.6 million. A rail trail parking lot will be located on the southeast corner of Vestal Road and African Road. The new trail segment will connect with Harold Moore Park, which is located between the Susquehanna River and Vestal Road. A U.S. appeals court has ruled Pennsylvania can't stop young adults from openly carrying guns in public during a state of emergency. The panel found in a ruling Thursday that the nation's founders intended 18 to 20-year-olds to enjoy the same Second Amendment rights as other citizens. The ruling revives a lawsuit that challenges the Pennsylvania ban. The two-to-one majority says the decision follows U.S. Supreme Court orders that they look into the nation's history and tradition when evaluating gun control measures. Courts have since struck down restrictions involving domestic abusers, nonviolent felons, and others. The boyfriend of a 20-year-old woman fatally shot in the neck when they pulled into the wrong driveway described to a jury the moment when he heard a shot pierce the car and then saw his girlfriend slumped over in the passenger seat. Blake Walsh testified Thursday in the second-degree murder trial of 66-year-old Kevin Monahan, who was charged with fatally shooting, shooting Kaylin Gillis when the couple and a group of friends drove into the wrong driveway near the Vermont border last April. Monahan's attorney last week said the shooting was a terrible accident involving a defective gun that went off when it banged into something. That's a look at news. For updates on local news, weather, sports, and features, open up the WNBF app and online at WNBF.com. This is News Radio 1290 WNBF. Bob Joseph, this is Binghamton Now, Friday, January 19th, 2024. Let's begin, shall we? Six zero seven 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 two twelve ninety is the official number. Those who wish to speak on WNBF are now welcome to participate. The lines have been opened. The lines will remain open till noon. Morning, WNBF. You're on the air. What's your first name? Where are you calling from? Uh, this is Scotty calling from Planet Earth, Bobby. Uh, I don't want to tell where I'm really from. It might rile up some people. How are things going on the planet Earth? Well, waiting. we were waiting for a big storm in planet Earth, the uh, west coast of planet Earth. And uh, you'll probably be getting this weather come Tuesday, next Tuesday. So be prepared. All right. Something to look forward to. You know, I wanted to uh, give your sensitive viewers a little time to get off the radio. And so I'm going to. 
maybe do 15 seconds on the last book I read before I get into uh, how good we're doing financially. Anyhow, I just uh, got done reading Anthony Bourdain's The Cook's Tour, his second book, and uh, great read. Uh, I love reading Anthony Bourdain and watching his shows. He's a kindred spirit, I believe. I love that man. He did. He did good work. He did great work, and I always liked the uh, episode where he's with the uh, the greatest president of all time, Barack Hussein Obama, in Vietnam. That was uh, quite. A good oh, show. I missed yeah, that episode. I, oh, you missed that. Yeah, oh, I, I will have to, to uh, punch that up. Oh yeah, please do, Bobby. That was you know great television. Anyhow, uh, hopefully your sensitive viewers have uh, checked out for a couple minutes because I just want to say. Uh, the economy is going gangbusters. I don't know what people say. Oh, it's in the you know terrible economy. My, the stock market is going gangbusters. Nasdaq was up forty four percent last year. S and P five hundred was up twenty four percent. Inflation's going down. There's one point four jobs open for every job seeker out there. Retail sales were through the roof in December. I don't understand why people are just you know. They're opening. They're opening a new store here at the uh, Oakdale Commons. My uh, wholesale club will be opening up next week, so a week from right today. Yeah. You know, I, I love Costco. We have Costco like 160 out here in uh, Planet Earth, the west coast of Planet Earth, and uh, they're great stores. And if that store in the Oakdale Commons is anything like Costco, look out. I, I hear. I hear it's very similar, not identical, but quite similar. So I I predict. I mean, that's an example. I mean, what you see, they had a a big sporting goods store. I won't mention their name because of HIPAA, protect their privacy. But uh, (laughs) we, I think we all know that uh, they opened their biggest store. Now, if that's not a vote of confidence, not just in the U.S. economy, but specifically in Broome County's economy, building a store of that size, the biggest, the best? The biggest, the biggest. The and, biggest you know, and the I, best, and notice it didn't happen. Didn't happen under the former guy. Well, <laughs> you said it, not me, Bobby. You said it. And you well, know, I'm just, I'm just talking. speaking the truth. No, if no, I, I, if I, it I, happened when the former guy was still living in public housing in Washington, I would acknowledge it. It just didn't happen. I recall <laughs> when it was the Oakdale Mall, the place was abandoned. It was to the choir. It Listen was choir. sad, Scotty. It was sad. No, yeah, and, and you know everybody's complaining about inflation. It's worldwide. Argentina had two hundred and eleven percent inflation last year. The U.S. We're sitting, you know, rosy. I don't understand. Oh yeah, inflation. It's and like, look, it's moderating. Look now, before before people call up angered and say. Uh, Bob, don't you uh, dislike paying higher prices? Of course. Don't you wish gas was back down at 29 cents a gallon? Of course I do. Of course. That would be nice, but let's get real. Well, you know, Bob, I I drive a Prius plug-in. Okay, I know that's going to get a lot of people riled up. I'm getting 50 miles to a gallon. Come on, guys. And, you know, people who are driving pickup trucks who don't need to drive pickup trucks, get a grip. Yeah, but and here's the thing, though. Now you're on thin ice. You're treading dangerously for some of our more sensitive viewers. The people are driving those pickup trucks fueled by environmentally friendly diesel and getting three miles to a gallon and paying more. Let's face it. Every place that sells diesel is usually charging, I think, about a dollar a gallon more. So clearly they have 
almost literally cash to burn. So they have no reason to complain about the high cost of anything. They, you can tell those, those are some of the people who are most vocal about prices being out of control. They're driving big trucks. And have you priced a big truck lately, Scotty? Big trucks cost a lot more than, than your Prius. Yeah, thank you. Well, you know, I saved more money on my Prius. I bought it nine years ago. Take it to a great mechanic in Berkeley on planet Earth. And, uh, you know, I calculated how much I've saved my previous car to this and gas mileage. And I've saved like $9,000 over the course of nine years. It's, it's remarkable. And it's thanks to Japanese technology that made it possible. Thank you. I hate to say it, and it's going to rile up some viewers again, but I would do, I'm only buying Japanese made in Japan, assembled in Japan cars. I mean, Toyotas. I would, uh, I'll tell you this, the next car I buy, I will buy American, but only if it's designed and manufactured by Boeing in Renton, Washington. <laughs> I want a Boeing made car. <laughs> oh, Bobby. I'd be driving. Can you imagine, Scotty? I'm driving down in Nichols past uh, Jeff Garal's place, tooling along conveniently at 119 miles an hour. And my left passenger, my left, the passenger door goes off. The rear door flies off, and it and it hits hits a, a woman who's passing me in her later model Escalade. Uh, well, that, that would be terrible. You know what? There's a good attorney in New York who could probably handle that. His name's Jackie Childs. I don't know if you've heard. Of him. <laughs> You know who <laughs> he was a good attorney. You know who was a better attorney though. And what's her name? Rona Barrett. What the um, Alina? Alina? No, not you know the. Um, oh yeah, Hama. 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 I, Hama. I can't. She's. You know, I, I, I there's something. There's something about her, and I I need to look into her credentials because I'd like to know what law school she went to. <laughs> Well, did you see her? I seen a, a clip of her on Colbert last night. Well, what, I, uh, no, I didn't see that. Well, the only clip I saw is one time she's sitting in the courtroom, and of course she's wondering why she has this rule of accepting any client that has the money to pay her. I mean, most most attorneys I know are are very selective. They're not just in it. Hey, you got you got a hundred thousand dollars retainer? No, sometimes people would say, "Well, let me think about that. I'll, I'll get back to you tomorrow and let you know whether I'll take your case." But I saw this clip, and she was just sitting there in a courtroom, looking nervous and fidgety. Well, you know, last night on Colbert, they showed her. She was on some of those Newsmax, you know, show or whatever. And they said, "Would you rather be considered pretty or smart?" She goes, "Oh, pretty. I can always fake being smart." <laughs> it's like, come on, man. Did she come say on, that? Bobby. He did say that. Really? I swear to God, man. Yeah. Look it up. Look it up. All right. Well, again, and, and lest, lest people take it the wrong way, I I will say this. I wish her the very best in her future endeavors. I hope things go better with her next client because, because this I was guy. I say, you know, you've got to be more selective. I like to be yeah. more selective with her client. Not, you know, sexual predators or anything like that. That's I don't know. Who, I don't, yeah. However... Having said that, and because we are a great country, even people who have committed some of the most heinous crimes also deserve adequate representation. So I want I want people to know that I'm all, all about fairness. It's just if I were an attorney, I would probably probably politely say, "I, uh, sir, am unable to represent you." And I, well, I, you know, Melvin Belli was the, the king of torts. Remember Melvin Belli? <laughs> Barely, you know, yes. He was in the, uh, the Give Me Shelter movie. I'm going to do my yeah. Mick Jagger imitation for <laughs> oh, you. No. For, this is what, you know, I'm going to say to all your uh, sensitive viewers. 
This is Mick Jagger at Altamont, 1969. People, who's fighting and what for? Who's fighting and what for? When the Hells Angel was going all January oh 6th on gosh. the crowd. I, Anyhow, well, those were the days. And sadly, sadly, yeah. yeah, I mean, that's we can't erase history and we we can only learn from it. And let's put it this way. If they if they bring the Rolling Stones, I think they're having a reunion tour later this year. If, as I uh, am expecting, they do book a small venue like in Binghamton at the arena. I hope they uh, have, uh, shall we say, more reasonable security personnel. Well, I'm going to see Springsteen on Easter Sunday out here in the uh, planet Earth West Coast. And uh can't wait to see the boss. This could be the last hurrah. You know, yeah. the boss is still puts on a good show. And, uh yeah. you know, Springsteen's one of those kindred spirits again. I can see nice. him, Anthony Bourdain, and Barack Obama, myself, having some uh some Vietnamese food. Absolutely. Sounds phenomenal. Thank you. It's uh, 920 WNBF, WNBF.com. I'm your radio buddy, Bob Joseph. This is Binghamton Now. From the Galt Auto Studios, this is WNBF News Radio AM 1290. Also available at 92.1 FM. Shop Toyota, Chevy, BMW, and pre-owned at GaltAuto.com. WNBF Live. More calls, more often on a Friday morning. Our next segment is dedicated to Dave's in Broome County. Dave and Vestal, good morning. You're on the air. Good morning, sir. How's it going, Bob? It's going very well. Thank you. Good, good. Hey, you know, boy, are you guys out of touch. Every poll that I've seen has uh, 70 to 75 percent of the country not feeling uh, your guys' uh, great economy vibe there. <laughs> it's hard to find people that agree with you there. Just had to throw that in, but that's not why. That's not true, though. That's not true. It's hard to find people who agree with us, just listen to the program between now and noon. You'll hear people who agree with us. And that's one of the reasons we don't talk about polls on the program, because who knows who's behind the polls? Who paid for the poll? We have no idea. How were the questions worded? We have no idea. They put out the polls because it's easy. It's like News Helper. When you don't want to get it out of the newsroom and do actual reporting, let's do a story about a poll. Uh, you know, it, it has no bearing. The only poll that counts is the poll in November. How is it worded? Their wallets are hurting and crying. That's the bottom line. No, that. tell me the question, the main question. Tell me exactly, precisely how it was worded. And the fact is you can't because they don't disclose it in the news story. They have done research and polls, poll results can easily be swayed based on exactly how a question is worded. And pollsters know that. 
All right, Bob, you win again. Hey, the main reason why I called, Bob, you know, I, I listened yesterday, and you know, my wife was very proud of me. I listened, and I talked less. I wanted to jump on the phone and call yesterday. I, I didn't do it. I sat by and I listened. I listened to the anti-Trump stuff, and but then I thought about it all night, <laughs> and I said, you know what? I'm going to call, so I'm calling, and uh, you know, you guys were talking Trump yesterday, and that, that lady called in that, that that would never vote for Trump, and you said even if there was a hundred things she agreed, which she wouldn't vote for him. But you know, she actually she actually tried to make a case for Biden, and that was hilarious. Trump isn't, and he wasn't ever going to touch Medicare or Social Security, Bob. She came to me across. She came across like like a, a retired teacher, you know, where they retire their teaching skills, but but not their liberalism. She called this narrow-minded. This Trump supporters narrow-minded, Bob. You know, if opposing Democrat sanctioned crime across the country makes me narrow-minded, I'm all in. Uh, securing the border, the southern border, Bob. To be specific now, to stop criminals, you know, terrorists, drugs, diseases, and make them wait in America to be processed like Trump had it set up. If that makes me narrow-minded, I'm all in. If looking for a better economy is narrow-minded, I'm all in again, Bob. Trump had China eating out of his hand. Now they're eating Biden's lunch. If that makes me narrow-minded, I'm all in. If fighting back against their anti-fossil fuel stance makes me narrow-minded, I'm all in. All right. Well, just don't pay too close attention to those polls. Because remember, the only poll that counts, and people learned an important lesson in the November 2020 election. That was the poll that counts. Didn't make any difference, the polls that Fox News or Max News or whatever, what those stations had reported, what the syndicated radio hosts were reporting, trying to give comfort to their legions of fans. Hey, makes no difference. It makes no difference. Even remember, Hillary Rodham Clinton could attest to you that the polls in the long run make no difference. She learned the hard way as well, 2016. And then the former guy, who was at that point still a current guy, he learned the hard way in November 2020. Don't count your chickens before the votes are in. So, right. So that's the only poll. That's why it's important not to pay attention to so-called public opinion polls. You can. I know. Some people do. It's entertainment. And some news outlets do. Some syndicated talk show hosts do on radio and TV. You can do it. In the end, remember, it's meaningless. Every year, there's only one poll that counts. And it's the poll that's taken in November. When Americans go and vote, there's your poll. And then when you don't like the results of that poll, do not, do not go to Washington, D.C. and invade the Capitol. Just my opinion, though. Dave from uh, Binghamton, good morning. Good morning, how are you? Oh, I'm well. You did good. Um, so I was calling, well, first I was going to call about gas and cars and stuff like that, but also I just wanted to mention yesterday what was good is how it was proof again that Binghamton now is not one-sided on one thing or another. Um, you know, you had the caller who was not going to vote for Trump, then you have callers that will. You had the uh, Republican chair, Ben Fetterman, call, uh, call in. Um, you'll, you know, you would even, I'm 
not yesterday, but days you could have the Green Party candidates or whatever call in, and you don't deny any of them an opportunity to comment or talk or give their thoughts. So, so that's one good thing um, about the show is it's not, you know, it's an open forum, I believe, from what I hear. Um, so what I was actually calling in regard to uh, cars, so a few days ago, um, there's been some reports like out of Chicago and uh, elsewhere in the Midwest about all the electric cars, especially by a, a Tesla supercharger, just sitting there um, dead because they cannot charge. Um, yeah. An automotive professional said, oh, they should have preconditioned um, before they tried to start charging. Cause, like Some people were there for over 24 hours trying to get their car to actually charge, and it was not working, so they had to tow them away. Um, and there was about 20 or 30 of them there. Um, so, and that's, uh, you know, proof right now that electric is good, but not everywhere. And it, the color with the hybrid, um, that's an important one. Uh, you know, hybrid is, you know, right now, in my, what I think is the best idea um, to improve gas mileage while also keeping a vehicle that can still drive um, no matter the temperature out. Uh, and also the uh, where the vehicles are are built, is, you know, they mentioned they wanted to have one that was built in the U.S. Or correction, sorry, built in Japan and uh, designed in Japan. But the, one of the issues is, uh, you know, like Georgetown, Kentucky makes the Camry Rav Four and the Lexus ES. Uh, Cambridge and Woodstock um, in Canada make Rav Fours and some Lexuses. Troy, Mississippi, um, does some cylinder heads and such. Princeton, Indiana, does a Highlander in Siena. Uh, Buffalo, West Virginia, not New York, uh, makes some engines and transmissions. Huntsville, Alabama, does engines. Uh, Tijuana, Mexico, makes the Tacoma. Uh, Jackson, Tennessee, does some more engines. San Antonio, does the Sequoia and Tundra. Blue Springs, Mississippi, does the Corolla. Um, another one in Mexico does more Tacoma. Uh, then they actually share a Mazda plant with uh, or Toyota shares with Mazda in Huntsville, makes the Corolla Cross and Mazda CX-50. And 2025, they're building one in North Carolina, uh, or opening one in North Carolina that will make battery packs for their electric vehicles. So quite a few of the vehicles um, by Toyota are actually made in the U.S. or North, you know, elsewhere in North America, Canada, or Mexico. So they m- might not be built, uh, even though they're probably still designed in, in Japan. Um, and yesterday I spent two ninety eight a gallon, or sorry, with my discount, um, two ninety two a gallon. Oh, that's a good deal. That's a great deal. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully it continues to spread down here. <laughs> well, I'm sure it could. I'm sure. Yep. It could. <laughs> um, but then it'll be two. But then it'll be you know two sixty up there while it's you know two ninety here. All right, but that's. <laughs> I think we've established that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the good thing about gas prices around here, whether they go up or down, basically, we could say in relation to the rest of the world, they're consistent. Yes. Consistent (laughs) in 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 an interesting, higher way. Sure. Sure. It's it's not not worth complaining about because that's, that's a waste of energy. Conserve. Right around three bucks. Oh, yeah, I, I did see that. I was up there yesterday, and I said, boy!" And then right near there, the kids were s- with uh, frozen tears streaming down, down their faces as their 
Teslas were just like sitting there useless. Well, good people like you and me were tanking up with $3 a gallon gas. <laughs> going, look at us. We're driving our cars. And your car is Yeah, and now those Tesla, the, the Tesla chargers don't have a place to go eat. Boo. Yeah, well, such is life. Yeah. Like, All right, enjoy your day. Hey, thanks. <laughs> uh, I want a Tesla, but I want one that's built by someone other than Elon Musk. If Elon Musk would sell his Tesla company, I might, might buy one. I'm kidding. Kidding. I can't afford to have a Tesla because in the winter I need to get to work. Can you imagine me calling in? Hey, Don Morgan, guess what? My Tesla's range is only two miles. I can't make it into work until spring. Hi, WNBF, you're on the air. What's your first name? Where are you calling from? This is Bob from Boston. I'm just getting over my projectile vomiting. All right. Uh, why don't you clear your head and clear your throat? Call me back when you get over. Then that's uh, sadly that's not it's not fit for broadcast. Good morning. You're on the air. What's your first name? Where are you calling from? Hey, hey, Bob. It's Ron from Binghamton. You know the guy on the west side. Yeah. Yeah. By the way, just so I don't have to respond, I was just about to respond. I did see your previous email, so. Oh, okay, very good. Thank you. Yes, I, um, I may not be able to handle that till next week, but yes, it's trust me, it's it's a work in progress. Oh, very good. Thank you for getting back to me on that. Um, you know, I was listening uh, to uh, a um, a demographer, I believe it was, economist uh, on the radio yesterday on a show. He was on the public radio station. And uh, it provoked me to look up some statistics on crime. And uh, it's, it's interesting in terms of the actual rates of crime, violent crime and property crime like theft, and uh, perception of property crime and theft in the United States. Uh, and I looked up a number of sources, the one I'm uh, looking at right now is Statista on property crime in the United States, statistics and facts. And the uh, thing that jumps out to me is, uh, and I'm going to quote here, as with the rate of violent crime, the property crime rate in the United States has dropped dramatically since 1990. And uh, continuing the quote, interestingly, survey data, um, uh, interestingly, excuse me, uh, survey data shows that although crime rates have continued to drop, a majority of Americans have persistently believed that there was more crime in the current year than the year before. And this is the straw dog that is being put out by these uh, places like Newsmax and Fox and everyone who wants to get people riled up about crime. It's worse. It's worse. It's worse. The statistics are showing it's less. It's less. It's less. One other thing that is interesting is the economic angle, Bob. Uh, 
you hear about CVS or Walgreens and others who are closing their stores. And people jump to say that they're doing that because of all of the crime that's going on in the stores and people walking out with merchandise and such. And the reason behind these people closing their stores is they, as with most of uh, American business, understand that brick and mortar is passe. And they want to go online, like Amazon, who is doing tremendous sales year after year after year. So CVS and Walgreens and Rite Aid and other stores, Target, whatever, go online. Now, uh, that that change has precipitated in the far right uh, the far right uh, news outlets to say it's because everyone's running into stores and robbing. And actually, that is not the case. The statistics do not bear it out. Crime rates in, ter- in terms of theft specifically are dropping year after year. So I just wanted to throw that back in there for the people who are mesmerized by uh, what they're hearing about the crime taking over. Yeah, lies and darn lies. I appreciate it. Thank you. It's nice to hear a voice of reason. After all these weeks. 607-772-1290. Remember, Newsmax is definitely a channel. But they don't necessarily... They don't necessarily have to provide you with true facts. They can sometimes do use alternative facts. Spot Joseph, it's Friday morning. The weekend is just around the corner. It's so close you can almost mm, taste it. 92.1 FM, 1290 AM. Stay connected using the WNBF app. program ever. Back to the phones we go. Bob and Vesto, good morning. Okay, I'm calm down. Uh, I want to answer that guy from California. First strike, he likes Bruce Springsteen. I can't stand Bruce Springsteen. The first time I ever heard him, like, uh, baby, we were born to run, I liked that. After that, like if he's on the radio, boom, it goes off or to another station. I just think he's the most overrated musician. And this no, guy, no, he's not. Billy Joel is. No, Billy Joel's got some good stuff. But anyway, that guy thinks California is this big E that people are shooting up on the street. Oh, what's he call it? Planet Earth? What do you I mean? People are up? shooting up on the street here. We make it sound like there's something different about California compared to Binghamton. Come yeah, on, but man. I'm just 
decides that there's no crime. Come on. You people, I don't know where you come up with this stuff. Well, you make it sound like the only place in America where people are shooting up on the street is Northern California. No, but that that's guy, not true. That guy is such a liberal, Mike. No. I don't even think he lives out there. I don't even think he's a liberal. I think he's a plant. <laughs> I think he lives in I, I think, you know what I think? I think he lived, lives with Tucker Carlson up in Maine. You know, I wanted to uh, address that lady yesterday. Yeah. Three three things about Trump. Yeah. We didn't have two wars going on. We might be in a world war here. I, I, where do people not see the economy? Uh, yesterday when I came back from the motor vehicle, I needed, I got one of those boxes of uh, 10 waffles. And a thing of syrup, it used to be like $2 for that. It was $4.28. And this guy from California, what are people complaining about? The economy's great. Where does he get that? The economy's terrible. Everybody's hurting. Now, the problem, especially with food prices, it's corporate greed, greedflation, and I don't want to point fingers or cast aspersions, but there are some companies, and it's documented. It's documented. They actually brag in their earnings calls. They they basically uh, acknowledge they have pricing power, and they've been taking advantage of the world coming out of the COVID pandemic to boost prices far more than necessary. So it has nothing to do with any elected official. It has everything to do with greedy CEOs. Boy, where'd you hear that New York Times, I suppose? No, it was on Fox Business News. You guys are talking about uh, Newsmax? Look at Fox Business News. They're the ones who reported it. Uh, let me talk. Matt Ryan gets 10 minutes uninterrupted. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you 20 seconds uninterrupted right now. Boop. Okay. You people are knocking Newsmax. What about CNN and them who said Trump was a Russian operative for three years. They got the man impeached. Don't you people see what is going on here? That media is so crooked. Rachel Madcow in the gang. Oh, Rachel Maddow. She's very good. The only problem I see about Rachel Maddow is she's not on longer. Seems like they should give her a three-hour program, or if they really cared... Put her in charge of the NBC Nightly News at 6.30. So she could do the NBC Nightly News at 6.30 and tell it like it is, and then, say, at 8 o'clock, do a three-hour cable show. That would be entertainment. John in Binghamton, good morning. Hey, uh, Bob. A uh, couple of things, newsworthy things, I think. Uh, the Cal Harris trial is proceeding in April. Uh, some things were thrown out, but the gist of it is is that at least two state police investigators, uh, the, Tioga, the, the then Tioga County DA and uh, Tioga County itself are on the hook. So that trial starts in April. I is that likely that. to cost New York State taxpayers some cash? It's going to cost Tioga County taxpayers a, a lot of cash, and I believe the individual investigators. I, I don't know how much, uh, uh, whether or not the, the coverage would a, apply to uh, deliberate acts, but the uh, uh, the judge uh, said that uh, it was uh, not a great case, 
and uh, fabricating evidence uh, uh, that it was logical that they had a not great case and that that fabrication of evidence was involved in, in taking it to, to the next level. Has Troop C uh, you know, ever had a, uh, a history of uh, problems with their investigators? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But oh, you're right. It was on 60 Minutes with Leslie yeah. Stahl. I'm sorry. Yeah. Well, I mean, it was so long ago, I I almost forgot about it. So, I, I mean, the bottom line is, so when, when will this trial begin? Next month or March? Uh, uh, April. Oh, and okay. I, I think you throw out what you think of Cal Harris or the past cases and now focus on, on the issue at hand. And that is, uh, is Cal Harris going to be compensated uh, uh, for his uh, losses, his actual tremendous uh, documented losses and, you know, what's the cost of the taxpayers. Uh, I was at the mayor's office yesterday at 415. There's uh, Mayor Binghamton. There's a, a bunch of desks that block the window. The uh, office itself was locked up. Uh, there's an intercom, a video intercom. Uh, a woman's voice came on and, and asked me what I wanted. I asked her if Mayor Cram was there, and she she replied in a robotic voice, the mayor is unavailable. Then I asked, isn't the mayor in Washington? And the same robotic voice, and then she shut off the intercom. Uh, you know, if, if you go up there, you see a city that's not open for business, and that is very distressing. First time ever uh, that that's occurred. He has, I believe, three administrative employees. That door should be open, and the desk should be operating. I don't know what he's trying to pull uh, with that one. And I was at the BCC uh, trustee, SUNY Broom trustee meeting, and, and two things surfaced. Uh, number one, the dorms, uh, which were a, a, a tremendous white elephant. Uh, they need to refinance those dorms because of its effect on the balance sheet. They're currently operating with a bank loan. Uh, so essentially what they're doing is going from a 10-year financing finance uh, structure to a additional 30 years. Uh, this is incredible. Those dorms should have been paid off by now. Uh, and they're applying for a free secret credit rating from Moody's. In other words, if they like what Moody says about the project, uh, then they will use that credit rating. If not, it won't be public. I think they're on very weak grounds there. I don't think a public institution uh, can do business with a rating agency and then decide themselves that they don't want that rating out there. So Does Moody's do that? I didn't know that Moody's would do secret ratings for public entities. Well, I mean... I mean, I guess they probably do. The reason yeah. I haven't heard about it is they keep it secret. Well, I mean, at two, and if you're paying, if you're paying for the rating, and then you're going to decide whether to use it, then you have the the, the taxpayer money cost. So I, I think they're whistling in the wind on that. I, I will personally uh, challenge that. And then one other thing, the uh, BCC Foundation they gave their report, and this is very interesting. Of course, the foundation is a nonprofit, so capital gains and capital losses, uh, you know, they're, they're recorded, but they're of no effect since the foundation is not, not for profit. It can make capital gains without, you know, similar losses. But they tried to peddle this, and I believe this is snake oil. They took a $12 million loss on stock transactions, which 
you know, they must have been in some doozies of uh, stocks, and uh, you know, in the last six months. Uh, and then they took an offset of a $12 million gain. Uh, uh, they didn't have to do that, and I think they did that uh, because of the presentation to the board to make it look like it was a neutral a neutral thing, uh, the head of the foundation got up and said, well, uh, we're changing investment strategy or something like that. So that's interesting that a foundation in a relatively uh, upward biased market, you know, according to the Magnificent Seven stocks anyway, would have a, a loss on the books of $12 million. I mean, they're only a $32 million entity. So something went wrong there, too. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll keep an eye or try to keep an eye on that stuff. Thank you. It's 9.51 WNBF serving America. All I got here, a microphone and a telephone. 607-772-1290. You're listening to Bob Joseph. This is WNBF. Get a one of them old fashioned subs. Available at limited locations, not in California, and certainly not in Florida or Texas. <laughs> you want an old fashioned sub, you gotta know where to go. It's nine fifty four WNBF serving people in the uh, well, the calls in which in the order in which they're received. So here we go. Here we go. Um, I don't know if we can. I don't think we can squeeze in any more calls before the top of the hour. But we can squeeze in a weather report because bread and milk, bread and milk is available at participating supermarkets and convenience stores. Now is the time to buy fresh bread and icy cold milk because light snow is expected today with one to three inches of snow possible by early this evening. Then, for bread and milk fans, it'll be so cold. It'll be so cold. It might be too cold to go out and get more bread and milk over the next couple of days. Temperatures in the single digits to low teens all day tomorrow into Sunday morning combined with sustained winds of 10 to 15 miles an hour gusting to 25 to 30 will create wind chill values between zero and minus 10 across the entire region. So I think that's whatever you do, don't leave your bread or milk outside because then it'll be too cold. Here's the official forecast from the National Weather Service. Snow today, accumulations about 2 inches, high 26. Tonight, cloudy. Some snow and snow showers, low 11. Snow accumulation tonight, less than a half inch in the Binghamton area. Cloudy tomorrow with a chance of snow showers. 
High 16, less than a half inch tomorrow. And then Sunday, partly sunny, high 22. Then a heat wave, a tropical heat wave uh, hitting starting on Wednesday. With uh, temperatures soaring into the 40s. 42 Wednesday, 45 Thursday. With showers, so. And we'll probably be forced to talk about the potential for flooding. You can go out and buy. Wait, if there's flooding, what do you have to buy? Um, strawberry Pop-Tarts and Tab. Strawberry Pop-Tarts and Tab. But you don't have to worry about that because temperatures aren't going to get into the 40s until Wednesday. Right now in downtown Binghamton, it's 20 Fahrenheit, minus 7 Celsius. Here at News Radio, WNBF. Coming up later today, Dan Bongino from noon to 3, right here. In the meantime, this is Bob Joseph till noon. You're listening to Binghamton Now on a Friday morning at WNBF and WNBF.com. This is News Radio 1290 AM, WNBF Binghamton. Now on 92.1 FM, W221EJ Binghamton, a town square media. Where news breaks first. News Radio 1290 WNBF. This is News Radio 1290 WNBF News. Snow today, high near 26. Snow tonight, cloudy skies, low around 11. Cloudy Saturday, high near 15. Sunday, partly sunny with a chance of snow showers, high near 22. An urgent rescue of several dozen farm animals found to be living in poor conditions was being conducted near Owego. According to the Tioga County Sheriff's Office, the American Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals was called in to assist with the operation. Sheriff's Office units and ASPCA vehicles were at 240 Glenmary Drive in the town of Tioga Thursday afternoon for the massive rescue operation. Authorities said investigators discovered more than 100 animals at what was described as a horse farm. Some of the animals showed signs of neglect. The sheriff's office said cows, goats, and horses, including some young calves, were being removed from the property. The animals were found to have limited access to food, water, and medical care. Some appeared to be underweight and were living in filthy conditions. One calf required urgent care. The sheriff's office reported that some dead animals were also discovered on the property. The ASPCA was helping authorities with operational planning, animal removal and transport. The agency also was aiding investigators in evidence collection and crime scene processing. The Susquehanna SPCA and the Massachusetts SPCA are assisting by providing transportation and care for the rescued animals. Charles Harrison of Binghamton was sentenced to 48 months in federal prison after being convicted of illegally possessing a firearm. The sentencing came as a result of collaborative efforts between the United States Attorney's Office and the United States Marshal Service for the Northern District of New York. The trial revealed evidence that Harrison, previously convicted for a conspiracy to possess and distribute controlled substances, was serving the final part of his sentence in a halfway house in Connecticut. Harrison fled from the halfway house, leading to a warrant for his arrest. On March 29th of 2022, Harrison was found hiding under a mattress in an apartment in Binghamton. 
During the search, a loaded handgun was also found in the bedroom adjacent to Harrison's hiding spot. Through forensic analysis and testimonial evidence presented at trial, it was proven that the firearm was linked to Harrison. The jury found him guilty of possessing the firearm as a prohibited person due to his prior felony conviction. On January 12th, state police responded to Envoy Travel Plaza at 305 Stanton Hill Road in Nichols for a report of fraud. Upon investigation, the clerk stated that two individuals entered the store at approximately 8.30 p.m. on January 11th and used two $100 counterfeit bills to purchase lottery tickets and gasoline. State police are seeking the public's help in identifying the two individuals. The vehicle is a Chevy Equinox with an unknown plate number. Anyone asked to anyone with information is asked to contact the New York State Police, Sydney Barracks. Preliminary work has started for the next phase of the rail trail system in the town of Vestal. Town engineer Vernon Myers said a 3,500-foot expansion of the existing trail is to be built this year. The walking and biking path will be extended beyond the Town Square Mall from its current trailhead at African Road to the Vestal Road-Sycamore Road intersection. This is the third phase of the trail system. Meyer said town highway department workers have started clearing trees near the intersection ahead of the planned construction of the new trail segment. He said the project is expected to cost about $2.6 million. A rail trail parking lot will be located on the southeast corner of Vestal Road and African Road. The new trail segment will connect with Harold Moore Park, which is located between the Susquehanna River and Vestal Road. A U.S. appeals court has ruled Pennsylvania can't stop young adults from openly carrying guns in public during a state of emergency. The panel found in a ruling Thursday that the nation's founders intended 18 to 20-year-olds to enjoy the same Second Amendment rights as other citizens. The ruling revives a lawsuit that challenges the Pennsylvania ban. The two-to-one majority says the decision follows U.S. Supreme Court orders that they look into the nation's history and tradition when evaluating gun control measures. Courts have since struck down restrictions involving domestic abusers, nonviolent felons, and others. The boyfriend of a 20-year-old woman fatally shot in the neck when they pulled into the wrong driveway described to a jury the moment when he heard a shot pierce the car and then saw his girlfriend slumped over in the passenger seat. Blake Walsh testified Thursday in the second-degree murder trial of 66-year-old Kevin Monahan, who was charged with fatally shooting, shooting Kaylin Gillis when the couple and a group of friends drove into the wrong driveway near the Vermont border last April. Monahan's attorney last week said the shooting was a terrible accident involving a defective gun that went off when it banged into something. That's a look at news. For updates on local news, weather, sports, and features, open up the WNBF app and online at WNBF.com. This is News Radio 1290 WNBF. Bob Joseph, 
Friday edition of Binghamton Now on News Radio, WNBF, WNBF.com. And we're joined in the studio by Town of Union Supervisor Robert Mack. Hi. Good morning. What's going on? Well, happy to be here. It's been a little while. Yeah. Uh, on this uh, snowy morning here in Binghamton. Yeah. I, oh, I'll, since we can't afford to hire our own traffic reporters, our traffic copter's been grounded. I think. I think we had a contract. Somebody told me we wanted to get a contract with Lockheed Martin and with a, a program, Augusta Westland. We had uh, it was going to be the VH twelve ninety helicopter program, so we could do traffic reports. And then uh, I'm told. The people ran the numbers, and they said, there's absolutely no way that makes economic Doesn't sense. Doesn't work. And I said, but we were going to employ 700 or 800 people <laughs> working on, on WNBF's traffic copter program. We were going to order four basic choppers and have at least 10 backups, and we would have employed hundreds of people in a go <laughs> for the next two decades. And then you know, at the last minute, they said, no, we can't justify that. So why don't you, like whenever you get a studio guest, why don't you ask them what the uh, road conditions are? And, so, and I'm happy to report, just coming from Endwell, uh, it was a little slick, but as long as you keep your speed reasonable, and uh, uh, you'll be fine. So uh, how's that for saving Thanks. millions of dollars? Thank you. <laughs> See? See, they'll make note of that, or I better make note of it, and then I'll send a copy up to the corner office and also uh, uh, a copy to uh, corporate because I saved them millions of dollars in one fell swoop on our traffic reporting program. I'm sure there will be a little bonus in my next check. That's that sounds good to me, Bob. Emphasis on little. I do want to let uh, your your folks know, though, that I do have my lucky Buffalo Bills socks on today. Go Bills. Go Bills. Go Bills. I, I've got an old-fashioned sub. I won't name the store because of HIPAA. I want to respect their privacy. But they used to have old-fashioned subs. Now all they have are subs. Old-fashioned. Must be the marketers decided old-fashioned wasn't wasn't cutting it with the new generation. So I got a sub, and they put the delicious sub into uh, a Bill's a wrapper. Bill's bag, Bill's wrapper. And so I felt like I was part of the team as I was eating my sub. Well, my feet right now are. <laughs> I take it you'll be going to the game this weekend. Uh, I will not. Um, <laughs> I would love to, but um, my shoveling days, I don't know. I just don't know if I can go up there and shovel out my seat. I uh, I saw that last weekend. Actually, they didn't do the game till till Monday afternoon. But I thought it was uh, fascinating that these people who I'm told pay, we'll just say, a significant amount of money for the pleasure of seeing the bills and enjoying 50 or 60 mile an hour winds and a wind chill of minus 50, they had to shovel out their own seats. And I'm thinking... There must be something where they can hire an attorney and say, well, at least refund our ticket price. If if you didn't have our seat available and ready for us and we had to shovel our way to, through two or three feet of snow to get to our seat, we'll then refund the hundreds of dollars we paid for the privilege to freeze to death. You know, the uh, um, uh, when it comes to the playoffs... Those Bills fans will do anything. Yeah, I know they will. I mean, I mean, they'll make they'll make snowballs and and throw them out over the stadium to yep. get get the snow out of there if they yep. have to. Hey, it's good times, and and certainly 
from the comfort, actually from a comfort of a local establishment, I was able to watch the uh, the fourth quarter of the game, and I was cheering them on. But I was also thinking, boy, I'm glad I'm sitting here in this establishment watching it on a 120-inch TV instead of out there in Orchard Park. I I, I understand that completely. Yeah. So what's the state of the town? Here we are. It's a new year. It's 2024. Yeah. Do you, your town supervisor, do you, yes. do you do, um, do you do an annual speech called the state of the town? I, I, I do not. Okay. We, we do do what's called a reorganizational meeting. The very first meeting in January is where we come in and we reappoint committee assignments. Uh, we reappoint, uh, the deputy supervisor. We reappoint, uh, to all the multiple boards in the town of Union, um, new members or or renewing members, depending on how long the terms are. Um, our town boards vary. We have some boards that have seven-year terms. We have boards with three-year terms, and we have boards with one-year terms. So it's usually a fair amount of work to get everybody um, uh, reappointed and to get alternates in place, and 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 that's how we do it. We don't really give any um, uh, any speeches. Well, got to consider consider doing it someday. Okay. I'm not saying it's a good idea. You ought yeah. to consider. It's I don't think people want to hear us, <laughs> hear, hear us talk that much anyways. Imagine. But, but um, so, you know, what's new? Um, I, I think first on the list is this week we got a letter from the IDA, and uh, which is the Industrial Development uh, uh, Agency, um, about the corporate park development up on top of uh, Reynolds East Main Road, Airport Road area. Uh, the IDA is declaring what they call lead agency for, oh, for the seeker, for, for the, the seeker environmental review, review, which is the environmental uh, review. Um, as we may have talked about before, uh, the IDA did get about a $500,000 what's called a FAST grant from New York State to do that study. Um, it doesn't mean that anyone's committed to it or anyone's approved it or anyone is supporting it. But what it does mean is we're allowing them to um, uh, take over that job without any um, uh, without any uh, complaint from the town of Union. The truth of the matter is a project like that is so large it would cost the town a lot of money to try to put that plan together and do that secret review. Uh, and the fact that the IDA got a grant to do it, we're happy to let them uh, take the lead on it. Uh, and that is something that gets granted through uh, the Department of Environmental Conservation. And so, as many of our listeners know, this is something that affects part of the town of Union and part of the of town, town of Maine. Maine that's yeah. correct. It's about half and half, um, uh, approximately. And, um, you know, who knows where it's going to go, but until this secret review is, is completed, um, we're reserving any opinions on the project because that's the review that tells us whether it's viable, what it's going to do to the community. Uh, it, it, it looks at all the social uh, in, impact, the economic impact, the environmental impact. Um, it really is a quite extensive study that's mandated by New York State. Of interest, and, and at least one of our callers pointed out, uh, with the resolution that was acted on on uh, Wednesday afternoon by the IDA, mm -hmm. 
it refers to not 300 acres, but 526 acres for a possible corporate park, or as they call it, room technology park. So, and at last I knew, they haven't acquired the additional land. I mean, we know that they've been talking, apparently, communicating with other landowners near the the original Mm. plot of 300 or so acres. Yeah, I understand letters have gone out to the surrounding uh, landowners. Um, I have not seen one of the letters yet to see exactly what it says. Um, But we did have some folks come to a town meeting uh, a couple weeks ago and mention that they started receiving some letters um, asking uh, or letting them know that the scope of the study has expanded up there and that other properties might be um, in on the uh, on the block and uh, the the word eminent domain was mentioned which um, I think uh, a lot of Americans uh, it gets the hair on the back of your neck up yeah um, yeah a lot of people find that that cringeworthy yeah. like in in the usa today yeah. you could have eminent domain i remember eminent domain uh, as a kid taking uh half of my grandmother's neighborhood in johnson city and i 1781 yeah, my, my my house Carlton street yeah my house my mom's house of uh, that we lived in our whole lives was just taken by the new kamikaze curve which I don't know. Isn't that much better than the old Kamikaze curve? But but um, but it, it paid for a lot of jobs. I mean, it, it pumps. I think over a hundred fifty or two hundred million dollars into I, the local economy. I think it was even more than that yeah. over the by the yeah. time it was finished. Yeah. But uh, yeah, when uh, back in sixty two or sixty three, we lost half of our backyard to the highway. And then uh, when they redid it a few years ago, of course, my mom had to go, which. Uh, was it was tough, you know. She was uh, late eighties and lived there, uh, raised her family, and and to lose her home to eminent domain was tough. Yeah, my grandmother, her home was preserved, but all you know, neighbors on the yeah south half of the street, goodbye. Yeah, and the only thing that we got for it was for a few months. We, uh, my brother and sisters, we were able to ride our bikes on a an un unfinished uh, stretch of yeah. the expressway and we just had to make sure to stop at, at the place where they were going to put the bridge where in the else, bridge was you know, yeah. that would have been a big story on action news it's 10 20 at wnbf we're talking with the town of union supervisor robert mack now as far as whether the towns the town of union or the town of maine would have any sort of veto power if this this process moves forward the ida goes through the environmental review and their planning continues we know that uh, broom county executive jason garner has said he believes this is something that would be very important potentially critical for the future of the county's economy would the towns have any potential veto power if if the town boards didn't want this to go forward? Well, as you know, uh, there would be a lot of rezoning that needs to be done for this to happen. And um, so not only would our ZBA, our zoning board, need to approve this, but it would need to be approved by, um, uh, you know, full support of the towns. Um, I have seen projects in the past where the town veto was over overruled uh, by the IDA, whether or not a project of this magnitude could be, um, I, I, I would hope we don't 
have to go down that road because I'm afraid um, sometimes towns lose when you're talking about projects of this size. Well, as they say on the radio, stay tuned. Obviously, whatever happens with this proposal, it's not going to be happening in the next few weeks or few months. This is part of a, a long process. Right. And we'll see what happens with the IDA, uh, with the county, and also with the towns of Union and Maine. It's 1022. We'll be talking more about the town of Union on this Friday morning in just a moment. I'm Bob Joseph. You're listening to News Radio WNBF 92.1 FM, 1290 AM, and streaming at WNBF.com. From the Galt Auto Studios, this is WNBF News Radio AM 1290. Also available at 92.1 FM. Save in a big way at Galt Chevrolet. WNBF Live at 1025 with Bob Joseph. And our guest in the studio is the Town of Union Supervisor, Robert Mack. Gowdy Station. Boy, you don't hear enough about Gowdy Station these days, do you? No. Uh, the town, we received a letter about a week ago, maybe two weeks ago, from NYSEG and from uh, the DEC that uh, we would be seeing drones flying around Gowdy Station over the next month or so. And don't be alarmed. They're not aliens. Um, it's not a invasion, but they are uh, using drones to uh, do some thermal imaging and some remapping of the area because they're still trying to figure out the contamination at the site and and the, and and uh, get some more information so they can put together what needs to be done there to try to start cleaning that place up. Uh, so that will be interesting to see. And I was just in the neighborhood a couple days ago covering another story that you're familiar with that we'll uh, be reporting on in the next few days. But I was looking over there. In fact, I was talking probably with a couple of people you know, and I pointed out, I said, yeah, I wonder what they're ever going to do mm -hmm. with that, um, that old Gowdy station. Because as you know, there was, for a short time, there was talk that they were finally going to demolish the old thing. And that didn't get very far. Yeah, the company uh, that ended up owning it out of, it was an LLC out of Florida, to my knowledge. Um, they've pretty much walked away from the property. And um, uh, I, I'm sure there'll be lawsuits and all kinds of good things coming in the future. But it's going to end up a Superfund, on the Superfund EPA list as a highly contaminated area. I mean, that power plant opened in 1917 and and as we all know there were no regulations no rules no anything in those days so so god only knows what is in the ground over there and and all those years of coal ash and coal oil and all those things so i i think the site someday will get cleaned up but it's a ways away before the money's available because it's a it's going to be millions and millions of dollars 
And the reality is a lot has been documented about the ground contamination mm -hmm. from over the decades that NYSEC used it. Um, DEC and EPA have, I don't know, probably thousands of pages. I've, I've looked at some, not at all, but there were all sorts of chemicals that wound up there. And for those of a certain age, old enough to remember, that obviously it was a very important generating station mm -hmm. for NYSEG and for this part of the state in terms of supplying electricity needs, but it also spewed so much soot. I mean, sometimes, whether it was just uh, a plant malfunction or just other issues, the amount of black smoke that was pouring from the smokestacks over there was was awful. And I know the people who lived in Johnson City and Westover just yeah. hated that place yeah. because of the the uh, tons and tons yeah. of it was all over your house, your, yes. your law, your property, your your porches. Um, I at the same time living in Binghamton, we had a garbage burning plant in Binghamton over by the Binghamton Plaza, West State Street. Yeah, the beautiful, exactly. Beautiful. And, uh, in the city, didn't use it long because it never worked right. Yeah, but it it made a mess when they did. I remember it being like snowfall, snowfall. Uh, uh, fall yeah. in the uh, in the middle of the summer, there'd be flakes of ash dropping down. Yeah. You know? Well, at least you didn't have to breathe that. Well, oh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, and see, that's another thing. So the city, I think, used that incinerator near the Binghamton Plaza for less than a decade. But who really knows what kind of long term, short term, and long term health effects it had on people? Well, that's why they say everybody in Broome County has asthma. Yeah. You know, from well, the IBM pollution, the EJ, EJ pollution. Yeah. And yeah. from the, the foundries. And, <clears throat> hey, that's the one thing. You look back over much of the 20th century, and there was a lot of manufacturing going on here in the triple cities, as you say, IBM and EJ and the foundries. And here in, in uh, Binghamton, the first word, GAF, mm -hmm. and then Anatech. It's like, yeah, but... Don't forget some of the stuff that was being spewed into the air that we could see, plus the stuff that wound up going into the ground that even now. That, you know, people talk about the toxic legacy of IBM. Well, EJ and GAF and so many other companies also yeah. left a toxic yeah. legacy. Even NYSEG, there are contaminated sites around the southern tier other than the Gowdy station in Westover, even here in Binghamton. Yeah. They they have, you know, coal tar and, and hey, PC, what are you do? PCPs and all oh those things. Oh, my yeah. gosh. PCBs. Now that, yeah, now that reminds me of Hugh Carey and how he never came to Binghamton to drink his glass of PCBs. Yeah, never drank that glass, did no. he? No, I miss him. It's 1030 WNBF Binghamton. By the way, at the Gowdy station, uh, and we still call it that, even though NYSEG sold it to an entity called AES and then some, as you mentioned, an LLC took over. There was some uh, very interesting activity going on, say, a year or two ago, and we talked about it. And I spoke with uh, Sheriff's Department and State Police, Johnson City Police, even though it's just outside the village. But there was a lot of uh, stuff going on where people were were slinking in. And, and stealing metal for recycling. And there were a lot of fires that were erupting there. Johnson City Fire Department had to respond to several fires that were 
probably unintentionally set by people who were using uh, welding tools or something to get at the uh, the metal. Yeah, and some of that, the crazy part was some of them were cutting right into the infrastructure of those buildings and weakening, um, you know, taking girders and taking steel supports and things like that. And so really crazy stuff over there with what was going on. It has slowed down. We haven't gotten many reports of vagrants in there. Um, they have been more diligent about uh, keeping the fences intact, but it only takes one night to go into the back of that property, cut a hole in the fence, and go in and start over. Uh, but they have been a little bit more successful at securing the, the property uh, with um, uh, better built barriers, uh, stronger chains, better padlocks, the whole nine yards. Well, bottom line is when people are intent on getting into some place, unless you have uh, armed guards there 24-7, eventually they're going to be able to get in if they want to. And we, on our website uh, several months ago, we had some pictures of... Um, workers in hazmat suits inspecting the site. Uh, mm -hmm. A photo on our website from last April showed the workers and they were starting that investigation that ultimately mm -hmm. determined there had been petroleum spilled and that's one aspect of cleanup that did get underway I mm -hmm. think last September. Is, yeah. is that part of the cleanup done? I, I really don't know. I know when it started, we were briefed, but I never did uh, see a letter saying that it was uh, completed. Uh, I think there's so much else going on there, they don't dare say anything's completed until they r really get into it. And I've been led to believe, and I think you believe this too, there is a, an active criminal investigation, I think, involving the, the federal EPA and maybe they're working with the DEC. This this That's ultimately correct. could extend to other sites, even outside New York. Yeah, that was that group that got caught in there. Um, uh, it was a group that was in there scrapping with permission of the owners. Uh, but they did not have the permission of the EPA or the DEC to be in there doing what they were doing. Uh, and that's where the um, uh, that criminal investigation is going. And I understand the workers involved there were not equipped no. with Safety protective. Equipment. I mean, they were being exposed to asbestos and who knows what else was inside. Exactly. They had no PPE for, for what they were doing. And the interesting thing about that group is that group had also been uh, tagged as having done this at other areas in the country uh, at similar sites. So it was a group that we were quite happy uh, got nabbed. And uh, it's leading to a big investigation that's multi-state. Because apparently in other states they had been able to do whatever they were up to. They were always one or two steps ahead of the authorities. That's correct. They were away before anyone realized what had happened. This is the first time they actually got caught was here at Johnson City. We're talking with the Town of Union Supervisor Robert Mack on this Friday morning. I'm Bob Joseph. You're listening to News Radio WNBF. WNBF live at 1037 with Bob Joseph. We're talking with the Town of Union Supervisor Robert Mack. Project that we've been waiting 
with uh, some enthusiasm uh, is the uh, apartment project over at the former IBM Country Club site on Watson Boulevard, just uh, a little bit outside the village of Johnson City. Is the town taking steps to prepare for what I think is supposed to be a 72-unit housing Housing complex there? Yes. In fact, we just approved a $750,000 infrastructure uh, improvement over there where we're going to be rebuilding the uh, sewer uh, pumping stations uh, to handle that development because obviously that many units is going to put a much bigger strain on the sewer infrastructure. And so that project just got approved and that's supposed to be getting started as soon as the weather breaks. Uh, we also received notification that that housing project, uh, it looked like the grant money and, and some of the other um, uh, financing has been approved and is starting to move forward. Um, I don't have any details on... Um, uh, uh, when it's actually, it's, it's shovel ready pretty much now, but when they're actually going to break ground, uh, we're hoping it's going to be sometime in the spring or early summer. We'll keep people posted about that. Also, I know that the town board has just approved, uh, uh, spending some money, I believe some of the ARPA money. For a, a project in the area of Hooper Road? Yes, uh, we just approved a little over a $3 million uh, contract for uh, rebuilding sewer, main, uh, sewer, sewer mains and um, uh, pumping stations uh, on Hooper Road. Uh, you know, Hooper Road uh, has had a lot of development to the top of Hooper Road, to the north of Hooper Road. Um, and uh, as you know, it's the only place that has had any new development in the last 20 years or so. And it's added uh, uh, quite a bit of a strain on the infrastructure coming down because just about everything in Endwell comes down Hooper Road to the bottom of Hooper Road in that pumping station. So um, this ARPA money we received from the, uh, uh, the COVID federal grant uh, has been a godsend because we're able to put some money into things that the town would have had a real hard time affording um, it without that big influx of money. So how soon could work on that project? That's going to start this spring, too. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we, we've awarded the electrical side, the plumbing side, the infrastructure side has all been awarded at our last board meeting the other night. The New York State Police will soon have uh, a new facility in their same building on East Main Street in Endwell. Tell me about that project. Uh, This has been sort of uh, modernization, also flood proofing of that building and and the uh, town office building next door. But it's uh, it will affect the state police station in Endwell. And then eventually, uh, after they move to their new location in the building, it'll uh, clear the way for renovations so the town of Union Courts will be moved back to end well. Where, where do things stand with that project? Well, as you know, with supply chain issues still happening, it's it's a little slower than we hoped, but we're not too far off target. Uh, I stopped over to the building yesterday. Uh, right now, they're starting to install the cabin tree. Uh, uh, the, or I guess we would call it mill work is being installed into the state police area. They're working on the IT, getting all of the computers uh, wired and all of that infrastructure up and running. Um, once that happens, I'm hoping we can see the state police getting in there 
um, you know, maybe mid-February, maybe the 1st of March, something like that. But we're hoping to see them getting in there in the next six weeks or so uh, if the rest of the project goes well. You know, one of the things... Is, is, is tough about, you know, supply chain is that building, we put two brand new HVAC heating units on the roof. Well, when they went to fire them up, one of them wasn't working. So we were able to take the one that was dedicated for the courts, which is the, the, the top floor, and we had to take parts out of that to get the other one up and running, which is going to supply the state police on the bottom floor. Uh, and, and they just gave us no notice that the part needed to get the other one up and running won't even be available until sometime in March. And, and it was right out of the, right out of the chute. It had a bad circuit board of some sort. Oh, really? Because and, I, I think I was there the day that they were putting uh, them in. Put, yeah, in November. Yeah. They yeah. were, they had a crane there and I saw the two units. Yeah. I mean, they looked okay, but. Inside, one of them wouldn't fire up, and when they tested it, it turned out to be the main board wasn't good. It was defective, um, and and unfortunate. So we were able to rob Peter to pay Paul at least mm. to get the police going, uh, but we now can't get the other one fixed for upstairs until um, sometime in March is the estimate to get the part. All right. So state police, at least, their their move should happen yes. sometime during yes. the spring. We're going to be able to get their move to go. And then the second part involves the, the town courts. And again, here we are. It's late January. If, big if, if things move forward as you would hope they would, when could the town courts ultimately be moved back from Johnson City to Endwell? The original plan was by June 1st. Um I'm going to leave it at that. Okay. <laughs> Stay tuned. I'm, I'm sure you'll be back on the program before June 1st to give us a status report. Well, And for people who don't know, going back to, and I, I can't remember exactly what year, it was uh, three or four decades ago when that building was constructed. That's where the town the of Union were. courts right. were, and then ultimately they, they eventually were moved to Johnson City's Justice yeah. Building. Yeah, we, we moved it to Johnson City. We were At the time, we were just trying to consolidate, save some money by uh, uh, consolidating our services. Um, in the At that time was the brand-new uh, Karutz Building in Johnson City. Um, but what has happened is that building has become... Uh, overcrowded. Uh, you have the police in that building. You have the Johnson City Courts in that building, and uh, it just it just wasn't enough space for all of us anymore. So we decided to move it back to the Town of Union building. It's ten forty four. We're talking about some Town of Union issues with the town supervisor Robert Mack. More to come on WNBF ninety two point one FM twelve ninety AM. Streaming at WNBF dot com. WNBF live at 1046. Bob Joseph speaking with the Town of Union Supervisor Robert Mack. One of my favorite places in the Town of Union is in West Endicott. I call it the Red Carpet Inn. 749 West Main Street. And uh, I stopped by this morning to see what's going on there. And the reality is not much. That's the truth. Uh, We have an owner that uh, is paying his taxes. And 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 uh, when the building 
has um, security issues. He's responsive. Um, and and in America, there's not much else we can do as long as those things are happening. Uh, it's a terrible eyesore and black eye to the community, especially when we have our the BC Open for people to be looking at a boarded up, abandoned motel. Um, Jason Garner and I have spoke several times that it is on a high priority list of doing something there. Um, the, the, possibly even being purchased by the county uh, to be torn down and made shovel ready for another project. Um, there has been, over the last couple of years, some different developers that went in and did some studies. They talked about making um, townhouses. They talked about making uh, uh, apartments out of the area. And they found that the construction of the building was so that it really wasn't going to be um, cost effective to uh, make it into long-term housing. And Sad so thing is, at. at that location, it seems that somebody with a vision and, of course, the requisite cash could come up with something that would be nice because it's right across from the golf course. The fact is that there's a high-profile event there every year. Yeah. And it, it and it's adjacent to a really nice neighborhood, the residential neighborhood there in West Endicott, plus the elementary school mm-hmm. just a few feet away. Seems that uh, it, it has a, a lot of potential. I would think during the warm weather months when the golf course is open, someone exactly so could be running some type of golf junkets to that area, bringing people in to play the golf courses all through the town and through uh, the county. Uh, I mean, we have some beautiful golf courses, whether it's Tioga or Broome County. Um, I, I, I agree that there, there should be something we could do there with that venue being across the street from one of the nicest municipal golf courses probably in the country. And resurrecting the restaurant next door. Absolutely. To me, see, my problem is I, I have an idea for the site, a great idea. I just don't have the cash. You just don't have well, the million or well, two that it's going to take. Well, although I know. I know a guy, so maybe okay. Maybe I'll give him a call. <laughs> Ten forty nine—that'd be funny. It's like, well, I called on Friday afternoon, and we have an announcement that we'll be making. <laughs> it's like, and requiring absolutely no tax breaks, no pilots, or anything. We'd like that'll hey, be the day. Yeah, that'll be the day. Dream on, they said. Um, it, but at any rate, I mean, the bottom line is uh, the guy who currently owns it who lives in New Jersey, I spoke with him a little less than two years ago. Mm-hmm. He did say he was hopeful that he could come up with, with something decent. He also has his own motel in New Jersey, mm-hmm. and he said that was going to be a priority. I mean, back when that opened, it was called the Royal Coachman Motel in 1963, mm-hmm. and they said it was ultra-modern, and it was the Southern Tier's first all-electric lodging place. So back in its day, it was something that West Endicott could be proud of. Mm-hmm. That must have been. I wonder if that's in that municipal electric district. It probably is. Uh, if they made it all electric, you know, because that low cost energy yeah. they get in that in that plan up there. I think. I think it may be right yeah. on the right, right on the fringe right, there. Yeah. I think the golf course is pretty sure it is. That's, yeah. that's why the golf course always used electric cor- carts and not gas carts, is because it was cheaper for them to be plugging them in, and they were one of the few. Uh, golf courses you ever went to that had electric carts, well, but it was they, because of that. You should put in a Tesla supercharging station there, and and people could get 
get their uh, electric vehicles recharged cheap. It's 1051 at WNBF. Now, one thing that was just in the news a few weeks ago, and the town doesn't have any real direct control over this, but it's it's sort of an ongoing problem across the county is with homelessness. Now, uh, there was a fire oh, a few weeks ago over on Glendale Road, right across from mm-hmm. Glendale Technology Park. Uh, someone either accidentally or maybe intentionally, it's probably accidental, set a, a vacant house on fire. And it turns out there's basically, I went there and the fire was still actually burning after mm-hmm. the firefighters left. There's a homeless encampment there. Yeah. And it's very close to Glendale Park. Yeah. And I guess my question, I've been asking other local officials about this, what can be done? Because you, as you know, whether it's out there off Glendale Drive or even along the river in, in Endwell. Right, that's and the one Westover. that we just shut down yeah. before the flood. Yeah, um, and it, it's, it's pervasive. Well, we there, there was a homeless encampment uh, down on the riverbank. Uh, I don't know if you know this, but if you go down behind the Burger King area in Endwell, there is a tunnel uh, that goes underneath 17. And it's an access tunnel, uh, for maintenance, uh, but it gives you access to a stretch along the river of a wooded area that extends all the way down to, um, where, um, oh, the Patterson Creek Cemetery is and that area. And there was rather a large homeless encampment there this summer. Uh, they even put a banner up and named it Camp Minion. They had uh, a hard structure built down there with some sort of furnace or wood stove uh, because we we could see smoke coming out of a chimney. Well, I know Endwell Fire Department frequently had to respond to reports of smoke conditions, and that's where it was originally. Absolutely. But that tunnel is not large enough to get firefighting equipment through. So if anything started started going down there, we weren't going to be able to get in there to do anything. So we did contact the uh, uh, Department of Transportation because they actually own that property, uh, which in the beginning, there was a little issue with, well, is it who owns this property? Is it the town's property? Is it the county's property? And we found that it actually was the Department of Transportation's property. Um, we were able to get them uh, cleaned out down there. And we were able to get the area cleaned up before the high water of, uh, what, about two weeks ago or so. Uh, well, that which, was one of the things that would, concerned me because I washed. knew the river was rising. Absolutely. So we were able to get down in there and get all of them notified that uh, high water was coming and get out of there because it might be too late if you don't. And we were lucky we did because... It was all underwater within a week uh, of getting that area cleaned out. Well, how many people were there? Uh, I, I don't have an exact number, but I understood it was around a dozen or more, and at times more. So, but and they were living. They were. They've been down there all summer, all spring, uh, and the camp just was getting bigger and bigger and bigger. So uh, we did talk to the uh, Department of Transportation, and we are looking at putting up some sort of of gate. That would lock folks out from using that underpass. Now, the only catch to that is during a flood, that gate would become a dam. So it would have to be some sort of structure that is something we could open when we know high water's coming. Uh, so we don't have a problem with, with, uh, with a structure getting full up with debris and creating a dam. So there's some, 
there's some discussion going on about what we could do. You know, if uh, DOT or anybody has put up any signage after they, they cleared that area to I haven't try been, to discourage people from gathering back I haven't been down since then. they've uh, cleared it out, so I don't know. There, there there, always was, I believe, no trespassing signs, but nobody pays attention. Well, and, and enforcement. I mean, law enforcement yes. agencies, whether it's sheriff's deputies or state troopers, they have their hands tied. Even, say, with the, the case over off Glendale Drive, state police knew on their way mm-hmm. there they knew exactly where it was where yep. that house was and and they were familiar with the site but in so many cases there's no place for people to go if they don't want to go mm-hmm. you can't in many cases compel people to leave well we covered a lot of topics yes, i appreciate did. your coming in we'll have you back in perhaps in a month or so with an Sounds update good, on uh I would say, what's the town's population now? 55,000? 57,000, yeah. A lot of people. A lot of people. Most people of any municipality in Broome County. It is. Robert Mack, thank you. Thank you, Bob. News is coming up next, right here, live on News Radio, WNBF and WNBF.com. This is News Radio 1290 AM, WNBF Binghamton. Now on 92.1 FM, W221EJ Binghamton, a town square media station. Where news breaks first. News Radio 1290, WNBF. This is News Radio 1290, WNBF News. Snow today, high near 26. Snow tonight, cloudy skies, low around 11. Cloudy Saturday, high near 15. Sunday, partly sunny with a chance of snow showers, high near 22. An urgent rescue of several dozen farm animals found to be living in poor conditions was being conducted near Owego. According to the Tioga County Sheriff's Office, the American Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals was called in to assist with the operation. Sheriff's Office units and ASPCA vehicles were at 240 Glenmary Drive in the town of Tioga Thursday afternoon for the massive rescue operation. Authorities said investigators discovered more than 100 animals at what was described as a horse farm. Some of the animals showed signs of neglect. The Sheriff's Office said cows, goats and horses, including some young calves, were being removed from the property. The animals were found to have limited access to food, water, and medical care. Some appeared to be underweight and were living in filthy conditions. One calf required urgent care. The sheriff's office reported that some dead animals were also discovered on the property. The ASPCA was helping authorities with operational planning, animal removal, and transport. The agency also was aiding investigators in evidence collection and crime scene processing. The Susquehanna SPCA and the Massachusetts SPCA are assisting by providing transportation and care for the rescued animals. Charles Harrison of Binghamton was sentenced to 48 months in federal prison after being convicted of illegally possessing a firearm. The sentencing came as a result of collaborative efforts between the United States Attorney's Office and the United States Marshal Service for the Northern District of New York. The trial revealed evidence that Harrison, previously convicted for a conspiracy to possess and distribute controlled substances, was serving the final part of his sentence in a halfway house in Connecticut. Harrison fled from the halfway house, leading to a warrant for his arrest. 
On March 29th of 2022, Harrison was found hiding under a mattress in an apartment in Binghamton. During the search, a loaded handgun was also found in the bedroom adjacent to Harrison's hiding spot. Through forensic analysis and testimonial evidence presented at trial, it was proven that the firearm was linked to Harrison. The jury found him guilty of possessing the firearm as a prohibited person due to his prior felony conviction. On January 12th, state police responded to Envote Travel Plaza at 305 Stanton Hill Road in Nichols for a report of fraud. Upon investigation, the clerk stated that two individuals entered the store at approximately 8.30 p.m. on January 11th and used two $100 counterfeit bills to purchase lottery tickets and gasoline. State police are seeking the public's help in identifying the two individuals. The vehicle is a Chevy Equinox with an unknown plate number. Anyone asked to anyone with information is asked to contact the New York State Police Sydney Barracks. Preliminary work has started for the next phase of the rail trail system in the town of Vestal. Town engineer Vernon Myers said a 3,500-foot expansion of the existing trail is to be built this year. The walking and biking path will be extended beyond the Town Square Mall from its current trailhead at African Road to the Vestal Road-Sycamore Road intersection. This is the third phase of the trail system. Myers said town highway department workers have started clearing trees near the intersection ahead of the planned construction of the new trail segment. He said the project is expected to cost about $2.6 million. A rail trail parking lot will be located on the southeast corner of Vestal Road and African Road. The new trail segment will connect with Harold Moore Park, which is located between the Susquehanna River and Vestal Road. A U.S. appeals court has ruled Pennsylvania can't stop young adults from openly carrying guns in public during a state of emergency. The panel found in a ruling Thursday that the nation's founders intended 18 to 20-year-olds to enjoy the same Second Amendment rights as other citizens. The ruling revives a lawsuit that challenges the Pennsylvania ban. The two-to-one majority says the decision follows U.S. Supreme Court orders that they look into the nation's history and tradition when evaluating gun control measures. Courts have since struck down restrictions involving domestic abusers, nonviolent felons, and others. The boyfriend of a 20-year-old woman fatally shot in the neck when they pulled into the wrong driveway described to a jury the moment when he heard a shot pierce the car and then saw his girlfriend slumped over in the passenger seat. Blake Walsh testified Thursday in the second-degree murder trial of 66-year-old Kevin Monahan, who was charged with fatally shooting, shooting Kaylin Gillis when the couple and a group of friends drove into the wrong driveway near the Vermont border last April. Monahan's attorney last week said the shooting was a terrible accident involving a defective gun that went off when it banged into something. That's a look at news. For updates on local news, weather, sports, and features, open up the WNBF app and online at WNBF.com. This is News Radio 1290 WNBF.
I'm Bob Joseph, WNBF Live on a Friday morning. This is Binghamton Now. We should call it Town Supervisor Day. We just spoke with the Town of Union Supervisor, Robert Mack. Now joining us is the Town of Vestal Supervisor, Maria Sexton. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? Great. How are things going in Vestal? Um, they're going. Um, a lot of good stuff, uh, a lot of work, but um, we're trying to make a lot of improvements to make things better for our residents. You were sworn in as the town supervisor less than three weeks ago, so what are your first impressions as, as supervisor? Um, first of all, we have a tremendous number of really great employees working for the town in all different capacities. So I just want to stop and thank them for that. Um, and so, you know, going forward, we're just going to do things differently. But everybody's on board, and I have gained a tremendous amount of respect for everybody who worked so hard for the town. One thing I noticed, and I just checked it out uh, a couple days ago. I didn't didn't see it when it happens, but I see on the website now there's a video of a town board meeting. And I, I was surprised to see that because when I had spoken with your predecessor, it, it seemed that it was going to be very difficult to get a video of town board meetings. And here we are into the new year and, and there's a video. I know uh, there's no YouTube channel set up yet, apparently, but I, I believe that's the goal. Tell me about actually getting a, a streaming was was that live stream the the, the meeting or was it just to so, put up on on the recording no we we put up the video um but we wanted to get something up right away because from day one we have been working on fulfilling everything that it, we said that we were going to do and one of them is complete transparency so the video has technical issues <laughs> but you'll see why in the video. And hopefully, um, actually we will. On this coming Wednesday, we'll be videoing again and we'll correct those issues and make things better. But um, everybody has a right to see what's going on in town board meetings and not, not everybody can physically attend. So we want to make sure that everybody can tune in and, and know what's going on um, in every way possible. So we have minutes for the meetings that are more complete. We're going to have the videos for every town board meeting. Um, and we're going to be working on better communication between the residents and the town board. So so ultimately, do you intend to have the meetings live streamed so people can watch them as they happen? Once we get past this initial uh, stage, it's definitely a consideration. But for right now, we want to get everything right as we go along. So we'll work on one thing at a time. But yeah, it's a possibility for sure. It's 11.13. We're talking with the new Town of Vestal Supervisor, Maria Sexton. So looking ahead, what what will your top goals be for this year? Your Your three top priorities for 2024? Well, uh, number one, to make things as transparent as possible. So we're doing the videos, as we said, but also we're putting out more information. So we put out the salary schedule for the town. We have nothing to hide. And we will be working on the Well, right now we're working in-house on the budget so that the public will be able to see an itemized budget so you know exactly where your 
tax dollars are going. Um, we did get hit unexpectedly with um, with our capital uh, bills. Basically, we thought our budget w- was in place. Um, we thought we had enough reserves, and we do. We do have a budget in place, and we do have enough reserves. However, we found out that there was no plan whatsoever to pay for our capital expenditures. Now, capital expenditures are the basics that you have to pay. So it's paving our roads, which we're calculating at about a million and a half, replacing a culvert, about a quarter million, um, and we're still looking for a million dollars from the pool money, but we're working on that. Um, and then we have to buy some mandatory equipment, and that's going to be about a half a million dollars. We also unexpectedly found out that two trucks were promised, but were never allocated any payment for. So we're, we're, we're struggling with that. Um, however, our budget is in place. We're going to be fine for this year. We're, we have planning ahead. We're going to have to get the bond. We're going to have to do bonds to get through for these essentials. Um, but going forward, it's going to be done much better. So next year when we do the budget, uh, the capital expenditures, all the things that we have to pay for will be included in our budget and will be planned for, so there will be nothing unexpected. We're also working with our departments on a five-year capital plan so that we can plan ahead. We need to plan, we need to budget, and make sure that we are fiscally responsible. But we'll do better, um, and everything that we do will be completely public. So everybody will be able to ask the questions if they have them. You mentioned the the pool project on Clayton Avenue. Is it still expected to open this May? Yeah. Well, I don't know the exact timetable, but yes, our goal is to have it open um, as quickly as possible, as long as it's done correctly, to ensure that our people hopefully um, can use the pool this summer. When it was uh, announced several months ago by your mm-hmm. predecessor, uh, the announcement was it was going to cost about $3.7 million, most of that apparently from federal ARPA funds, about $2.5 million, and then some state money as well. Um, oh, and I guess the county kicked in some quarter million dollars from its ARPA funds. Uh, in terms of having enough money for the entire project, what else is needed? to um, to yeah. uh, have have all the financing complete for the Clayton Avenue pool. We are working on that. So we're working on the grant um, that, um, that we believe that we will be able to get, but we haven't received the money yet. So as you know, to be fiscally responsible, we have to try to make sure that all the paperwork is in place and make sure that the funds are in the bank. Um, so we're hoping for the, that million dollars back, but we have not actually received it yet. So are you surprised? Here we are a few months from ostensibly the opening of the the rebuilt pool in the spray park. Are you surprised that there's still unanswered questions about paying for the project? Um, going over the budget, and I have been very intensely with um, with our wonderful controller, Um there wasn't a lot of planning in the last administration. Going forward, it will be different. Um, we're getting a handle on it. Um, we have a handle on it. Um, but it's inconceivable to me that they did not plan for the basics. And they just had no payment. They had, they had no planning. 
It's, it's when you start a project, you should have the funds or the promise of the funds in place. It should never be scrambling for money afterwards. So going forward, we're uh, contemplating writing a full-time grant writer, but we're working on ensuring that we look into grants before we start a project. And some of our people already do. Our engineer is amazing. Um, our water and sewer um, director is absolutely amazing as well. They already do it. Now we have to work on the rest of it. One of the things that came up, uh, and, and certainly there are questions because of, of the budgeting issues that you just outlined, is uh, the concerns about the school resource officers. Tell us what, what the, the questions are that, that some town residents have um, have been asking and mm-hmm. what the reality is as far as uh, keeping the, the school resource officers in place or possibly uh, adding school resource officers for Vestal Schools. Yeah, right now um, we have four officers in place. They are full-duty officers. They have been there, um, and they do an absolutely amazing job. They interact with the students all the time. They work on safety for the school, for the staff, and for the students. The program is amazing, and it will continue exactly as is this year. Um, I just talked to the school superintendent, and um, we sat down to have a plan to hopefully expand it. We're going to start that process. Um, and so that's still on the table. We're hoping to do it, but we're we're hoping to do it in a way that that expansion will not cost the town any more money. So we want to take care of our kids, and we absolutely will. The program will, will remain strong and vital. The officers will remain in place. Um, and we're just look, we're talking about possibilities for expansion. Our guest is the Vestal Town Supervisor, Maria Sexton. We'll have more in just a moment. I'm Bob Joseph. You're listening to Binghamton Now. From the Galt Auto Studios, this is WNBF News Radio AM 1290. Also available at 92.1 FM. We're still saving the Southern Tier money at Galt Toyota. Eleven twenty-two WNBF live with Bob Joseph on a Friday morning. We're speaking with Maria Sexton, the town of Vestal supervisor, and as we've been uh, reporting today, uh, some preliminary work has started for the next phase of Vestal's rail trail system. You know, in the last uh, week or two, some of the Vestal Highway Department employees have started to remove trees near. Uh, the intersection of Vestal Road and Sycamore Road for the next phase of the rail trail system. Tell us a, a little bit about what's going to be happening later this year with that extension. Well, uh, the the Greenway, the third phase of the green of the rail trail is. I saw the designs, I saw the layout, and um, it's going to be great. It's literally an extension of. Um, of the road, and we know that the rail trail is heavily uh, used by our residents uh, for all different reasons, from walking their dog to bicycling slowly, um, but taking a walk with their friends or whatever. Um, it's it's just an amazing thing for our residents, and the third phase looks fantastic as well. I think our residents will be very happy with it. Will there be additional phases in the coming years, do you expect? 
Um, there's no plans for it at this time, but I know that um, I was just listening to a number of people last night that have very, very um, exciting ideas that they want to do with the parks um, and with town properties to improve all the parks for our residents. And they absolutely sound like great things, and so we're going to pursue those. And um, we will be announcing them as we take each one in hand. Um, going forward, though, we're going to be doing things differently. Um, nobody will find something unexpected start to happen. Um, when we start, when we contemplate doing something in a community, we will be having community meetings about it. We will be talking about it and make sure that people in that area want that, whatever it may be. What about uh, development along the, the parkway corridor? Obviously, most, but not all, of the sites along the parkway are, are pretty well used right now with, with businesses, retailers, food establishments, and so on, so on hotels. Um, are you expecting many new businesses to announce plans this year along the parkway? Um, we will be reaching out to businesses and prospective businesses um, as we go. But the first thing we want to do is take a look at where we want businesses. The Vestal Parkway, obviously, we want to um, revitalize some of the areas, so we're hoping to attract businesses for the sites that really, you know, storefronts that aren't being utilized and things of that nature. However, going forward, we're going to be working on a comprehensive plan, and the comprehensive plan identifies places that development would be good, but with the least impact on our residents. We want to make sure that our residents maintain the lifestyle that they know and they love um, while still helping with economic development and possibly housing developments that, um, that benefit our residents and give them alternatives to what we currently have. One of the spots that, that continues to stick out like a sore thumb is just to the east of the True by Hilton Hotel. You've got two abandoned restaurant shells, the old Pizza Hut and the old Friendly's building, and they've just been sitting there idle for years, and it, it just seems like for compared to the rest of the parkway, that's sort of uh, a blighted sight to see these uh, the buildings not being used at all. That's per it's the perfect example of what I just said. There's a lot of storefronts. Um, I shouldn't say a lot of. There are some areas that definitely um, we want to attract business into, too, and that's going to be one of our initiatives going forward. However, we want to make sure that we start working on everything a little bit at a time so that we do everything right. We started a lot of things already. I told you about the budget issues. We're getting a we're getting a handle on it, and we're going to be fine. Um, we're making everything transparent going forward, but we're also starting to work on other things. We're only on week three, and we're starting to look at and try to improve the website. Um, I know that's a major frustration with a lot of our residents and our town employees as well. We want to ensure that there's real communication between our residents and our town employees because what I've seen is that our employees are trying to do stuff and our residents aren't aware how hard they're working. So when somebody has an issue or a complaint, they actually get an answer. 
Now, this isn't going to happen overnight, but we're starting the process. We're also starting to look at some of the codes that come from 1966 that, again, are frustrating to both our town employees and our residents. Um, and it's going to be a slow process, but we're starting it. And the last thing, of course, is um, really, really important. A huge frustration of our residents are assessments. So we're, we're starting with the process um, to ensure that everybody can have their assessments looked at. Um, our assessors uh, will sit down with any resident who requests it by appointment, of course, in the times of year that they are not as busy. So from October to January or February until they get really, really busy and they can't do it, you can make an appointment with our town assessors. They will go over your individual assessment with you. They will show you exactly how it was made. They'll check the specifications in the house. Uh, you can bring the pictures, but you don't have to bring anything. And they'll even walk through your house if you would like to show them stuff. They will do a one-on-one assessment, you know, review of your assessment with you. Um, and again, we're trying to improve the process. I wish we could say everything's going to be lowered right now, um, but we have to wait for the market to drop. And then I believe, I know the assessors and us are on the same page, is that then they will be readjust, readjusted down as appropriate. But we have to wait for the market. But in the interim, we want to make sure that everybody who feels it's unfair comes in and talks to our personnel um, and has, in doing that, if they meet with them, they do not give up any of their rights. They can still grieve. They can still sue. But they have that ability to see how it's done and to, you know, and to raise issues if there are. So we're working on all this stuff. We absolutely want to enhance our businesses, but we want to make sure it's appropriate. We want to make sure it's part of a plan. So everything on the Vestal Parkway, of course, we know are going to be commercial, so we want to start with that. Um, but it's week three, so I think we're doing okay. Getting back to the old restaurant sites there, the mm -hmm. Pizza Hut and Friendlies, there was uh, a flurry of excitement early this month when a council member put a note on social media saying that the board had succeeded in bringing a new tenant for the old friendlies location and that that building would be the future home of Dairy Queen, although a date had not been established, but will be in the near future. That was the news account. So what's the story on that? Is Dairy Queen coming there? Uh, I wish <laughs> and we wish. We all love Dairy Queen. Um, I can tell you that our town engineers and our code enforcement officers have not received any inquiries whatsoever for the property. Um, and our other town member, none of our town board members um, are aware of any inquiries either or any deals in process. Um, we absolutely would love to develop those properties. And of course, we all love Dairy Queen. Um, however, the rest of the board has no knowledge of it. So what what's your thought on, on the announcement? Did you speak with the council member? Um, yes, he said that he spoke to them in regard. So um, I don't know, but I have no personal knowledge of it, uh, nor do the other council members. So. Are you surprised that nobody else seems to know about it? Well, as a board, once again, 
We would love to speak to Dairy Queen or, and any other businesses that would love to develop in that area, but they have to go through the proper procedure and they have to contact our town employees because they will help them through the process and, and make sure that their development of that site is as smooth and as easy as they can possibly do while still meeting the standards that they have to meet. And we know there are already some other businesses that have gone through the process and have gotten clearance, whether it's from the planning board or other town officials, uh, for restaurants or other businesses just over the last few months. That that clearly is the case, but it doesn't seem to have been the case with the, uh, the purported uh, plan for a, for a Dairy Queen. Yeah, once once again... Uh, nobody has started the process on that site um, or made inquiries to our town offices. However, once again, we would all love Dairy Queen, and we would all love to see those businesses, those locations revitalized. It's 1132 at WNBF, not too far away from that site. On the other side of the parkway and a bit to the west, there is now a decommissioned fire station. And I assume that the old uh, station number four is going to be put on the market fairly soon now that the new fire station off Jensen Road is in service. Yes, there are... um, The the fire department is going through a transition right now, and the governance committee is beginning to take over the direction of the fire department. So, yes, uh, that plan, that site, um, belongs to the fire department, which is a separate budget. Um, so, and it's actually a direct line tax to um, the residents of Vestal. So it's completely separate from the actual town. However, um, I know Tom McCartney is the chair of the governance committee. It's absolutely amazing. And so they've just begin, begun that process of planning uh, not only for that property, for, but for going forward with the fire department, um, which at the end of next year will, uh, in, in 2025, will become completely independent along the model of the other volunteer fire departments in New York State. So, yeah, they're going through a transition, but absolutely that property is the fire department's property, and I believe the plan is to sell it, but however, um, Tom McCartney would be a much better source of information than myself, who can only get, who um, can't tell you the exact plan at the moment. Right. Although once that mm-hmm. site is sold, maybe somebody could use it for, say, a Chick Fil A. Well, hopefully, going forward, um, both Tom McCartney, the governance committee, and the town board, and myself, uh, we want to work cooperatively to ensure correct that that property is utilized in a great way, um, and then hopefully it will bring great stuff to Vestal. It's 11.35. We're speaking with Maria Sexton, the Town of Vestal Supervisor on WNBF. Hi, folks. Eleven thirty-seven at WNBF. It's Friday morning. I'm Bob Joseph. Spoke with the Town of Union Supervisor Robert Mack last hour. This hour, talking with the Town of Vestal Supervisor Maria Sexton. 
one thing I'm curious about, we've been waiting for years for probably one of the more unusual moving projects in our area. Is there still any any hope of relocating the Vestal Museum from its current site near the library this year back to where it used to be? We hope. It would be a wonderful place to have the museum on the rail trail. It would be so much better. Um, in, you know, I think it would be utilized a lot more. Um, I actually spoke to uh, the, the uh, had a long conversation about it. Basically, it comes down to money. So we're searching for the grants to be able to physically move it. Um, it's absolutely on, on our agenda. Um, it would be a wonderful thing for the residents because you would be able to go on the rail trail and literally stop by the museum when it was open. So it's um, definitely what we want, but it's going to cost a lot of money, so we need to look for the money for it. And I I think the last time I spoke with the museum director, she said, and let's see what the date of this was. I think it was... Eh, actually about a year ago, about 11 months ago, a little less than a year ago. And she said that ultimately the uh, last estimate she had about the relocation was approximately $2 million. Does that sound right? Yeah, I think it's less than that. Um, But I don't want to quote a number. But it's high. Um, You know, and before um, in the prior administration, for some reason they didn't, look for grants effectively. Um, And we need to start doing that. So that's what we're planning on doing. Now, if anybody out there would like to volunteer and help us look for grants and know what they're doing, um, we would love people to help us because we know that there are many different sources of funds, um, but we are working on the ability to look for or through all the grant offers that are offered, and there's a lot of them, um, and see what's appropriate for what we need to do going forward. That should be our first priority, is to look for the funds for what we need to get accomplished. Um, and so we're going to start doing that proactively. It kind of boggles my mind that they didn't do that, but we will from now on. And so the way things stand now, if you... We're going to take a guesstimate at, as to when the museum could be moved. When when do you think that could possibly happen, realistically? We, when we can find the money, um, we're hoping to get um, to obtain to learn the ability <laughs> to look for the grants. Um, and we know the museum director is absolutely wonderful, and she writes grants herself. But for for herself and for myself. Um, we have to learn how to look for the grants effectively. Um, she's absolutely wonderful, so enthusiastic, and so capable. However, um, it's a skill, right? And so I'm going to learn it. Uh, we're, we're all going to work together. We have um, incredible people who work for grants for in specialized areas like engineering. Um, and so we're going to build on that. Uh, but we would appreciate anybody's help if they know what they're doing. <laughs> um, because we know what we don't know, but we know what we need to do and what we want to do. And we'll get there. Um, and that is part of the process going forward. Um, but we will do it as quickly as possible. We're starting so much. We're starting many different things. It'll all be a process. But we're on the right track. 
um, finally we're on the right track. It's 1141 at WNBF. Retreat at Bun Hill, the 161-unit apartment complex that Landmark Properties says it wants to build uh, not far from the Binghamton University campus. When do you think they're going to start building that? Um, the retreat at Bun Hill? Um, the present town board opposes it. So, um, but it was appro- But it was approved by the previous town board, so... That is correct. It, right now, we are, it is in a court case. Um, the court case has to be resolved in whatever manner it is. We're keeping on top of it. Um, but when that court case is resolved, then we can move forward um, in, in that location. But right now, the project is not moving forward at all. So it's just uh, the legal the legal questions remain to be decided. Ultimately, if uh, Landmark Properties gets the green light to go forward, and, mm-hmm. and the fact that the previous town board had given the uh, authorization, is there much that can be done then um, if if they prevail uh, in in the current legal challenge that was brought by nearby residents? Well, I'm totally against the project, as I know. Many of the board members are. Um, you do never, you never, and this comes back to a comprehensive plan. You never pursue something that the residents of the area do not want, um, unless it's something that for the town that you know out of complete necessity. You don't do development in areas that are inappropriate. The people of the area do not want it. There are many places that could be developed, um, and with a comprehensive plan, we're going to identify all of that. But in the meantime, we should never as a town be fighting our residents. And that is what happened. So our residents clearly said in petitions and in their votes said we do not want this. And so therefore going forward, those of us elected, and I know some members of the board, will listen to them. So we, I can't tell you legally what the status is because we have to wait for the court um, case to be resolved. But I could tell you right now, the present board is against it. And it sounds, from what you just said, you believe going forward, even if the court gives the go-ahead for this out-of-state company, you you believe it would be a mistake? I believe it's always a mistake to go against your residents. Anything else you want to add? We've covered quite a few topics over the last um, 35 minutes, anything else that you'd like to add for Vestal residents at the moment? Um, I just want to, number one, thank everybody for getting out there and voting in the last election and for putting their faith in us. And we will do, I know Glenn, Robert, and myself, we will do everything in our power to fulfill every promise to you. And we will do things in a better way so that they have everybody has a real say in what's done and they know exactly what's going on. Um, but I want to thank everybody for getting out there and voting because, you know, myself and Ted uh, both opposed uh, the prior uh, town supervisor. Uh, we ran against him. But Ted's platform and our platform was actually quite similar. So we know what the people want. We know they want to say. Um, and they want real involvement in local town. And most of all, 
They want us to be accountable to them. And that, prom- that I promise them, will be the case going forward. So I want to thank everybody. Vestal Town Supervisor Maria Sexton, look forward to speaking with you perhaps uh, every month or so to keep people in Vestal and Broome County up to speed with what's going on. Oh, thank you so much. I really appreciate the time. Um, and it's great speaking to you again. And thank you so much for just talking to me throughout the campaign. And I think you've really helped the residents of Vestal in um, allowing us to just speak to them. So thank you. Well, we're working always to keep people informed. Hope you have a good weekend. You too. Thank you. It's 1146. This is Bob Joseph. We're about informing the people. Yes, I may have a few questions. Sometimes I have more than a few. But we're trying to get the information to you in real time every day here, Monday through Friday from 9 to noon. This is Binghamton Now. This is a... Don't you know, talking about a revolution sounds Don't you know, talking about a revolution sounds like While they're standing in the welfare lines Crying at the doorsteps of those armies of salvation Wasting time in the unemployment lines Sitting around WNBF at 11.49. Back to the phones we go. DJ in Binghamton. Good morning. Hey, hey good morning. First, I want to say uh, it's so cold outside, the local politicians have their hands in their own pockets. But I was calling about yes, yesterday. Someone asked the ridiculous question. Name three things. I can name 300 things. Well, here they are real quick. He did what Obama, Bam Bam, Bam Hussein, and uh, George W. wouldn't do. He named Jerusalem the capital of Israel. On day one, he took $100 million from the abortion industry. This is why they all love him. Natural gas made gasoline way cheaper. Uh, he wanted to give us 2000 not 1400 And to Dave from Vestal, I would say no poll matters to Joe Biden except a stripper poll. <laughs> I shouldn't laugh at that. That is just wrong. That is so wrong. Thank you, DJ. Hope you have a good weekend. Hi, WNBF. What's your first name? Where are you calling from? Uh, this is Matt from Binghamton. Oh, welcome. Welcome. We haven't heard from you in a while. What's up? <laughs> uh, I just want to uh, give you kudos for reporting. And if anybody wants to look it up in The Guardian, uh, headline, half of U.S. inflation now is due to high corporate profits. There's resounding evidence. They said that the corporations are keeping their profits way higher. There's even recordings that I heard uh, on another um, media station of some of the COs caught on earnings calls um, of these corporations talking about how they're bragging about how they're keeping these prices high. So, if you, you know, we went through a tough period with uh, uh, our economy from the COVID thing, but a lot of this 
continuing inflation uh, is due to greed, as you said. Oh, yeah. I'm looking at the article now. Procter & Gamble, Kimberly Clark, they control the diaper industry. They control 70% of the market, and they keep raising prices. Imagine if you have some babies. What if you had, I don't know, twins, triplets, whatever, and you're at the mercy of the people running these Procter & Gamble, Kimberly Clark uh, disposable diaper uh, companies, and they're just having fun at your expense. What about PepsiCo? A, a, A major European grocery chain just banned some of the delightful PepsiCo products, the delicious, nutritious, healthy sodas and the salty snacks because PepsiCo kept raising prices. They called it greedflation. Yeah, it came out in the report also that European nations have a, a, a meeting every year to with the corporations and they can control how much they raise the prices based on these kinds of statistics. So maybe we should start that here. But anyway, one other thing. Last night, I can't, I know I can't tell you the whole story, but last night I had a really interesting dream and was that I was at a flat earth society meeting. And I, and I found out that 100% of those people who were at the meeting, uh, believed that the earth was indeed flat. So just, and I think most of our listeners, maybe not all of them, but ter- turns out there's a lot of people, uh, there's a big upsurge in how many people believe the earth is flat. One of the, uh, they were doing, with 18 to 24 year olds, they're questioning them, and one third of them, um, of the people they, uh, you know, surveyed, thought that the, uh, were saying that the world was flat, and that, and they, oh, and I, they come on, Matt, I don't believe that. Come on, man. That's true. No. You know, look at look at the article on, by the University of Melbourne uh, uh, about exactly why there's such an upsurge in people who believe the world is flat, and it's a, a fascinating article. And it really goes down to it started really from 2016. There's been such a proliferation of web people getting their information from websites. And the way the websites work is that if you click on to something that looks interesting, like, uh, you know, they, they, they tease you into it and say, oh, all these people believe the world is flat. And then they get you reading about it. And then those sites make money off it because they're getting more clicks. And then they put out the, all this information that, um, you know, that's from the Flat Earth Society, and, and that feeds into the conspiracy. There's a lot of people that love to believe in conspiracy theories, and that what this woman said was, uh, that it, why is this? It's due to a general shift towards populism and a distrust in the views of experts and the mainstream mainstream media, who, by the way, used to be Walter Concrete. Everybody really trusted him. And, and the proliferation of social media uh, putting out stuff that people that's where people get their information from and if they and if they um all get in that echo chamber they a lot of people start getting convinced and it's not just the flat earth society that's getting a lot more traction it's a lot of other conspiracy theories because they don't believe academics anymore they don't believe scientific agencies they don't believe the government and we know that's what people are saying they don't trust anybody so well, who are they going to trust? Who who are they going to well, trust? Exactly. Alex Jones? Well, unfortunately, that's what they do, and that's why we have people believing uh, a huge amount of the Republicans believing that Donald Trump the election was stolen from. That's I mean that's where I, I keep but don't you out but to, seriously just between you and me, just between us two 
Binghamton people talking. Don't you think that's just a talking point that secretly they know that the election was won by Joe Biden by more than 7 million votes, but they just wow, they just really, use it, it as a talking point for radio shows. Well, that, no, that's exactly true, is that, the, is that the people at the top who've got all these people to believe that, um, you know, if you've gone on Fox News, I, I watch both, and, and they're talking about just the polls that 64% of the Republicans believe the election is stolen, and then they don't give any more information saying it wasn't stolen. So right now, Fox News is doing exactly that. They go on and they tell about polls, and then they don't say, well, by the way, that poll is wrong, blah, blah, blah. Obviously, other stations are uh, saying it's wrong, but the Fox News, which a lot of these people say they don't listen to anymore, and Newsmax and all those people, they perpetuate, they don't, they don't correct the, uh, this is the news people who got sued and got, had to pay up. What, 900 and something million dollars? Yeah, no, that, that was a serious case. And, by the way, we have to wrap up. There there are more legal cases to come for those those news organizations. Anyway, thank you. Hope you have a good weekend. I'm joining the Flat Earth Society this weekend. Thank okay. you. Thank you. Good luck with that. <laughs> Imagine Matt from Binghamton. Flat Earth Society. That's all the time we have. I'm Bob Joseph. You're listening to WNBF. This is News Radio 1290 AM, WNBF Binghamton. Now on 92.1 FM, W221 EJ Binghamton, a town square media.